Today, as we continue on in our series about forever fun, I want to set the precedence for you in case you weren't here a couple weeks ago. Uh, when we went into the series, what we were talking about, forever fun, it could sound carnal to you guys that are real spiritual, but not at all. I'd like to set the precedence that God intended that his people would not only enjoy him, but enjoy this world that we live in. Somebody say, yes, that's yes. true. It's true. And let me explain to you how I can prove that to you. Because when God created his people, if you will, and when God picked uh, Abraham and his offspring, and they became Israel, if you will, or the children of Israel, or the Jews, God himself said, you know what I want you all to do? I want you seven times a year to have feasts and festivals. I want you to party seven times a year. I want you to stop what you're doing, and I want you to have fun seven times a year. Come on, somebody. Imagine if your boss came to you and said, listen, we're going to have a festival in this office seven times a year, take a couple days off, and we're just going to party down. How many of you would say, no, I would rather not. I would rather work really, really hard and not do that. God himself instituted that. And there was a couple of criteria. The first criteria was that you remember me. That you stop everything you're doing and remember, I'm the one who provides for you. I'm the one who's protected you. I'm the one who's given you what you have. And the other couple criteria was that you eat together. That, man, you make a meal. And that you don't go out and you don't bother yourself with all the worries of this world. Come on, somebody. Isn't that good? And God himself instituted these feasts, these festivals as I'm calling them. And because of that, God understood the need of man, the need of humanity to enjoy life. And Jesus said it like this, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And what's happened many times in religion, especially, and even into Christianity, what we think is that Christianity is supposed to be, it's really so, I just got to worship the Lord so hard. It's so hard to be a Christian. I had a guy tell me that not so long ago. He said, it's so hard to be a Christian. I said, what's hard about giving yourself to Jesus? I don't understand. His difficulty was is that he never given himself to Jesus. So he was trying to love God and love sin. Come on, are you with me? And so that's where his breakdown is. And that's actually the point in the message here today. But as we jump into this, we started the first week with just qualifying that it is God that wants us to enjoy life and to have fun. And I don't know about you, but I want to be forever having fun. I had a good time when I was lost. I enjoy life as a heathen. Come on, somebody. And I'd be doggone once I got saved if I was going to be boring and depressed and worthless. Come on now. That's not what God intended it, so I surely wasn't going to give in to that concept. And so I have learned through Scripture how to enjoy Jesus and how to enjoy this life. And so today's teaching, literally, as we were talking about how to have forever fun, we'll talk about how to have a clear conscience because a clear conscience allows you to enjoy this life. Are you there? Say yes. Yeah. Years ago, when I first got hired on at staff, I got hired on staff at a mega church. In fact, one of my best friends from all over the years back in high school is sitting here on the front row, Jason Brown. And give it up for Jason hey. up here. So cool. Dude, I love that dude. Anyway, and Jason will remember this moment. I got hired on at staff at this mega church and you know, I was 19 years old, and, and so I was there for a couple months, and, and, uh, and you know, it was kind of went to my head, and I was all excited about it. And, and uh, one particular day, you know, there at the office, I, I worked late, and everybody had pretty much left. And, and, uh, and so I, I went to get out my car, and I had one of the leaders with me, and I just decided I was going to show off. I uh, had me a little Honda CRX, and I said, watch this. And so right there in the parking lot at the church, I just started peeling out. And I decided, instead of following the pathway out to the highway, you know, the concrete road that goes that way, I said I was going to cut through the lawn between the giant oak tree and the, and the front door of the offices. I was going to cut through there and show off and watch my little car. 
and go down through the lawn. And so, man, I'm peeling out and I'm spinning fishtailing as I start right into the, as soon as my wheels hit the front of the lawn, the beautiful grass, and all of a sudden, right out the door comes our 75-year-old founding pastor, Brother Roy. As I go flying past him in my CRX, and he throws as he's walking out the door, not expecting to be hit by a car in the, on the lawn of the church property. Come on, you with me? And so as he does, he goes, you can see him, he's like almost had a heart attack right there, right? And so I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, I'm going to be the one who killed the founding pastor. <laughs> and so I swerve real quick, you know, and, and he like freezes, and, and I go flying past him down through the grass, and the guy next to me is like, you're the best youth pastor ever. I'm like, I'm the last youth pastor that you ever have. I'm gone, baby. And so, man, my heart dropped. Anybody know what I'm talking about? In that moment, I knew I blew it. And so I went home. I dropped that youth leader off. I went home, and I waited by my cordless phone. Some of y'all too young to know what that is. Before there were personal, private, your own digital phone hooked to your body there were these phones at our house and you didn't have to have a cord anymore for them and you could have your little your little antenna tick, 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 and i had my little phone i just walked with it. i was like oh god i repent i'm so sorry of my sin and i just pray right now that grace and mercy would be extended to me i waited for that phone to call no one called i thought well i might have got away with this thing he is kind of senile maybe he didn't know it was me and so i thought well Maybe that night, man, I couldn't sleep. I just saw myself, you know, being brought into the executive pastor's office. So the next morning, I showed up at the church ready. Ready. This is it. This is my last day. Because, you know, I, I waited for the executive pastor to call me. And you only went into the executive pastor's office for two reasons. To get a raise or get fired. Most of the time it was fired. And it's in the ministry. You never got raises. So anyway, so I waited for him. He never called me in and never did anything. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of saw him there in the, in the, I kept avoiding him kind of thing. And, and uh, at one point he was there getting some coffee in the little break room. And I, I walked past him and said, Adam, how you doing? Fine. Why? Why do you ask? I'm Okay. Okay, good. Everything good? Yes. Do you need to talk to me about something? No, I just want to see how you're doing. Okay. I'm telling you, it drove me insane. Three days, I couldn't sleep. I was waiting for the moment. They're going to fire me. It's, it's the founding pastor. I have just lost my mind. And I went to youth service that Wednesday. Couldn't preach. Worth the flip. It was terrible. I was so miserable. My conscience was so heavy laden with my sinfulness. Come on, somebody. And I mean, it worked on me for days after day after day after day. Seven days passed. Sunday morning, I saw the founding pastor across the auditorium congregation. He didn't say anything to me. I'm like, this is... <laughs> kill me or something. But stop making it linger like this. You know, and I just couldn't take it. After about 10 days, I set an appointment with him. I went in his office and I sat down. He said, Brother Roy, it was me. I did it. And he's looking at me like, what? I said, I cut, you were coming out and I was showing off and I'm just a stupid young pastor. I know I don't deserve to be on staff. Oh, if you could just have grace and mercy. And I was the one who drove past the grass and almost ran you over. And he stopped for a second. Old wise man, he said, son, it's okay. We all do stupid stuff. Be free from it, man. God forgive you. I forgive you. Don't worry about it. Be released. I said, I walked out of his office. <laughs> the burden of guilt had lifted. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Somebody else say amen right there. 
I'm talking about a clear conscience today because you can't enjoy Christianity. You can't enjoy life when your conscience is so weighed down by your sinfulness. Come on, somebody. And so difficult to even go through life. In fact, it's such a burden that you end up carrying because you never went forward and repented. In fact, Pastor John Hunter and I were talking about that this week. And I actually got grabbed him to get a little bit of ministry truth moment from Pastor John Hunter. He's going to play that on video real quick. And let's get a little quick truthful word from him. Hey, I just wanted to share something with you today that Pastor Adam asked me to share with you because him and I had a conversation in his office that he just felt like the entire congregation would benefit from hearing. And I pray that you'd benefit from it. Uh, we were talking about sin. We we're talking about righteousness. And not just necessarily the act of sin, but what it is around sin that constrains us so much. And, and the Lord put it on my heart years ago that I preached a sermon on was this, is that the weight of sin is guilt. The strength of sin is guilt. Like the joy of the Lord is our strength. The guilt is the strength of sin. It's what really burdens us down. It's not really the act of sin that burdens us down. Because in the act of sin, we're not really thinking about it. It's after the act of sin. Then the weight of guilt begins to settle into our life. And so in this weight of sin, in this guilt that we carry around in our life, it's really what continues to pull us back. Because we all have experienced the redemptive work of God in our life, the redemptive work of Christ in our life. And by doing that, he's removed the power of sin from us. But he's done something better. He's also taken away the burden of guilt. We don't have to feel guilty about it anymore. I know that what you did in the past is something that you are ashamed of, something you wish you could go back and change. But we can't. But what we can do is come to Christ. Powerful. That's just powerful right there. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. This is going to be our key scripture today. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Turn, go ahead and turn on your Bibles. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen. It says this. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. I love how this passage says it. It says, let us draw near to God. I don't know if you have a two-year-old or a three-year-old, but there's nothing cooler Especially if you're a grandparent, when that two-year-old or that three-year-old comes walking, running in, Pappy! And they come running and they jump in your lap. Or they come and put those little arms around your neck. If you've got a nephew or cousin or somebody like that with little kids. And, then when, and when they grab a hold to you because they've drawn near. That's the connotation here. That's the mental picture. Draw near to God. Draw, if you'll come, he knows you're a sinner. He knows you've blown it. But instead of running away from him, if you'll draw near to him, what will happen is you will begin to sense the fullness of his heart, the assurance of faith. And then our hearts will be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus that covers our sins, that cleanses us from a guilty conscience. A guilty conscience. We're talking about a guilty conscience today and, and living our life to the fullness. And you can't do that when your conscience is guilty. We see in the scripture, especially in 1 Corinthians, Paul's literally talking about, says, listen, I've approached you guys. I've lived this out with a clear conscience. Yeah. I've done right. Uh, you know, and, and, and anytime I felt as though I did wrong, I went and I made it right. He's actually teaching them back to the 1 Corinthians piece. He's actually te teaching them in chapter 10 where he's saying, listen, you may say it's okay to drink alcohol. You may say it's okay to eat this food over here. But your brother who says, no, that's wickedness. No, that's there over there. He says, when you go and do it anyway, he says, you're sinning against their conscience and thereby sinning against your conscience. And as a result, you have sinned. It's amazing. See, here's the thing you got to understand. It doesn't matter how wicked a person is. God put in each and every one of us a conscience. Yeah. He did. 
And, and, and he put it inside of us. So we have a sense that something isn't right, that, that, that I shouldn't have done that. There's morality left even in the most vile of person. And God literally is teaching us, and what I want to bring forth today is that we can live with a clear conscience. We can go before the Lord and he can clear our conscience and take the burden of the guilt. It's so amazing to me as I interact with folks who call themselves Christians how, how burdened you are and how, and how depressed you are. and just, You just can't even enjoy Jesus. And How you doing? I'm okay. Really? It doesn't seem like well, just, you're just burdened. You're heavy laden. You're overtaken. I love what Pastor John taught us here in that one little truth point. And that literally is that Jesus... When, when he said that I've come that you may have life and that the joy is the strength of our salvation, the fact that we're saved, the joy is the strength of that. But the strength of sin is guilt and, and, an, and an unclean conscience. Oh, but Jesus paid for that. Come on, somebody. So we don't have to live with an unclean or, if you will, a, a, a bogged down conscience that we can live uprightly before the Lord. Guilt is depowered through Repentance. Sorry, let me say that again. Guilt is depowered through repentance. She says, I'm just so guilty over what I did 20 years ago. Did you ever repent of it? I'm just so guilty. I just feel so, I hate to go to church. People tell me, I don't like to go to church. Why you don't want to go to church? You know, I just don't feel good enough to go to church. I just know I'm a bad person. Well, repent. See, repentance is not a bad thing. If you've been in this church any length of time, you've heard me say it at least 100 times. And I'm going to say it 100,000 times before we all die and graduate to heaven. But the bottom line is repentance is a beautiful word. Come on. It's an amazing word. Repentance is this opportunity. And I explain it like this every week. You hear me say it. it. It's like if I were to say to you, and you've got your little laptop, has got the spinning wheel of death if it's a Mac or the, the little hourglass, and it's locked up. Your computer's locked up. And you call your grandson, say, what do I do? Says, Nothing's working. I don't know. And he says, Grandma, just hit Control-Alt-Delete. And he goes, <laughs> It's, it, it, it's dark. It's not doing anything. Just give it a second. And then all of a sudden, it comes back on. <gasps> it's working. Yay. You fixed it. That's right. Because Control-Alt-Delete resets it. Come on. That's what repentance is. Come on. Resets it. You mean to tell me we can reset and all the stuff I've messed up. Come on, somebody. Hey, use a Christian curse word. But screwed up. And, and, and I can reset. Where, what line is that? Where's the reset line? I'd like to get in that line. That's what repentance is. Yeah. I don't know when it became a dirty word. I don't, rem- I don't know when somebody said, you know, all they're going to do is tell you to repent. If you go to church. <laughs> yeah. We get to repent. We get to start over with God. We get, to, we get a refreshing. Come on, somebody. That's beautiful. That's magnificent. That's the God we serve. That's the love he has for you and me. That he takes our sin and he throws it as far as the east is to the west. Which means no matter how far east you go, there's still an east. Come on, somebody. And no, matter, no matter how deep in sin you, you get into... If you'll repent, the Bible says his mercies are renewed every morning towards us. Isn't that powerful? But I keep finding people who just won't repent. I don't know what it is. See, can I I explain something to you? We've got a problem in the United States. Oh, but we got the answer. Let's get into a couple hindrances to repentance. Number one, write this down if you don't mind. The first hindrance that I see to repentance is a love of sin. It's a love of sin. See, I don't doubt one bit that every person sitting in this room, every person who's attending this service, watching by way of our podcast and all that, I don't doubt for a moment you don't love God. 
why in the world would you waste your Sunday if you didn't love God? You showed up. There's, there's some love for God in your heart. You wouldn't have come up in here. You love God. The problem is that you, is, that you may also love sin. See, you may love God but also love sin. So guess what's happening? There's this war going on inside of you. You love God, but you also love sin. That's why you're so frustrated. That's why you're literally losing your mind. Because the Bible says you can't serve two masters. You've got to love the one, and then you'll hate the other. Or you'll hate the one and love the other. And, and, and that's what the Bible says. clear. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What it's talking about is you can't say, I'm in love with Jesus and still love your sin. You've got to make a choice because they'll destroy you between the battle between the two. And, and so somebody asked me, you know, so how do you know, how do you know what I love? How do I know which one I love? I can tell what you love. By the moment that I talk about it or hit that button and how you light up, how you respond. It's amazing. You know, I travel a good bit, so I'm always, you know, interacting with people. And, and so, you know, I'll, I'll end up with some guy that says, you live in Dallas? Yeah, yeah, I live in Dallas. You do? You like the Cowboys? Yeah, I mean, they all right. You, you didn't Cowboys, man. I, you know what the problem is with Cowboys? The problem with them Cowboys is the owners. See, y'all can win the Super Bowl, but y'all ain't got to get on. Your problem is, y'all, see, that right there. And I'll listen to him for a little, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, so tell me something. Do you love Jesus? Yeah, man, I love the Lord. I love the Lord, man. I love the Lord. See, you can tell what you love because the moment we talk about it, touch it, express it, how you respond. When you love something, you can't, you, you got that where? Oh my goodness, on sale? Did they have any left? I'm going right now. It's amazing when we talk about the things you love, how excited you get. But yet, come on church, I'm just being truthful. But yet when we talk about how good God is, yeah, bless the Lord, I just want just to, just want He's good. Man, do you love him or not? That's why I'm not scared to call her sexy mama in the pulpit. Why? Because I love her with every bit of who I am. And I want every woman out there to know, every man out there to know, every couple that's struggling. I love this woman. I'll die for this woman. Me and this woman are together till death bring us even more together. That's how we are. And so I don't just say it. I live it. Are you with me? Say yes. So the problem or a hindrance to repentance many times is because you still love sin. You need to make that choice. You need to make it today. You can call yourself a Christian and still be in love with sin. And you have to determine, do I love that anymore? Do I want to be free from that? Do I want to surrender myself to the living God? Do I want to let it go? Here's the second hindrance. Are you still there? Do you still love me? Well, let me give you that scripture reference on love and sin real quick. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Would you say that's what uh, we're experiencing right now? I would. It says people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, watch out, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, lovers of the, uh, uh, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. That's not about church people. That's what it's like. Lost people, they don't care. They don't have a form of godliness. They don't care. Heathens don't care. One bit like, whatever. You know, they don't care. Let's talk about folks who say that they're going to church and are supposed to be a part of the body of believers. It has nothing to do with them because they have a form of godliness, but denying its power. What power? Power to change. Power, power to empower me to love God and serve God with all my heart. They, they deny that. They have, no, they have no real love for that. They, they want to they get a little bit of heaven. They want to get a little bit of sin. 
they want to get a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And, and friend, that's the breakdown. So one of the big hindrance to real repentance is that we still love sin. All right, number two. You still there? Number two is ignorance. You say, you just called me stupid. No, I didn't. I promise. I did not say that. Ignorance means to not understand. Right? I'm ignorant on how um, an F-250 really, the engine really works. I'm ignorant. I, I can tinker around a little bit, but I'm not, I can't take it apart and put it back together. I'm ignorant of that. I'm ignorant on how you ladies put that makeup on. I know it looks good. I just have no idea how it got there and what, and what format it should have gotten there. I have no idea. I'm ignorant of that. And ignorance in reference to repentance. Can I just say this? God is faithful and just. And he loves humanity. He would that none should perish but all have eternal life. But there was a place created for Satan and all the demons. It's called hell. And when humanity turned their back on God, i.e. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and all of us come from Adam and Eve. If you think we came from somewhere else, you need to recheck your scriptures. And so that's why I don't understand why we don't like each other because of our skin tone when really we're all from the same mother and father. It's kind of stupid, but nonetheless. Come on. Take it back to Noah if you want to go there as well. But anyway, the point of the matter is, that's so ignorant, you know. But the point of the matter is, is this, is that, is that God created us, God lost us, and then God paid for us a way to come back to himself. But he created hell for Satan and all the fallen angels. And in our rebellion, we've destined ourselves to the same place of rebellion that Satan and all the fallen angels are going to. And so what I don't understand is it has to be ignorance to, to spend eternity in hell when you have a choice here on earth. It makes no sense to me. It's got to be. It's got to be a misunderstanding. You know, I used to have. I used to have uh, fellows I used to reach out to and love on. And they tell me, "Well, I tell you one thing. I'd rather spend hell. At least in hell, we'd be partying, drinking Coors Light, and we go like, son, you obviously do not know what you're talking about. Because Isaiah says that it will be a place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever gnashed your teeth? I've, my wife has when she gave birth three times. I was like, I don't ever want to feel that kind of pain. I'll take a broken ankle any day. And gnashing of teeth. And it won't go away. It won't be one day. It won't be ten days. It won't be one year or ten years. It won't be one millennial. It'll be year after year, time and time and time and time of hellfire, of difficulty, of pain and suffering, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But our God has made a way out out of that. Our God has a plan for those of us that will call him father. Our God loves us and has not destined any of us to that. We destined ourselves to that. Read, let me read this statement to you. God owes no man anything. That's good. He's God. Come on. He has, he has made no promises to keep natural humans from hell. He's never made that promise for humanity. Hell has been established as the resting place for every soul that is not a child of God. Those who have made themselves an enemy of God by rejecting his salvation have damned themselves to hell. He has created a covenant of grace for any of us who will receive. That, that's the only way I can uh, justify that you would not repent is it must be that you're ignorant of what the real end of this whole thing is going to be. You must not really grasp the understanding that there will be a separation of the sheep and the goat and the goats will be cast into the eternal fire forever, forever and ever and ever. You must be ignorant of that fact because surely you would not slap the hand of a loving 
God who's reaching out to you and saying, get away from me, I rather my Coors Light. Get away from me, I like my bitterness. Get away from me, I love my sexual sin. Surely you must be ignorant of what really is awaiting those who slap the hand of grace and say, I don't want it. I don't care about it. I would rather live the way I want to live. I know what I'm doing. I have life under control. Surely you must be ignorant of what awaits that individual. Because if you had any real concept of what eternity is going to be for those who reject the covenant of our God to be a child of the living God and reject His Savior, Jesus Christ, who is His only begotten Son, that whosoever will, whosoever would put their faith in Him will not perish but have eternal life. How ignorant, lack of understanding must someone be. That's why we, the church, must be so passionate to say, do you have any idea the decisions you're making? Do you have any idea whose hand you're slapping? Do you have any idea what you're destining yourself to? Do you have a grasp of eternity? This life is but a vapor. We buried one of my heroes. His widow sits right here on the second row today, just just days ago. Oh, and as, as we looked over his life, we were able to rejoice. Because not only did he come into a loving relationship with the Father, not only did he represent Jesus well on this earth, but every person he came in contact with, he warned them of the destiny to come for those who reject the living God. We could stand there in his casket and say, well done. Well done. A life well spent. He and me and his widow could sit there and say, there are no regrets. We lived our life to the fullness for Jesus Christ. Our conscience is clear. We owe no man. We told all that we could of the impending judgment to come. It has to be ignorance. The third hindrance to repentance. Again, remember, repentance is this beautiful opportunity. The third hindrance to repentance is pride. James 4 says it like this in verse 8. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Earlier in that passage, it says, because he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I quote that all the time. It's, It's pride that causes us not to fall on our face and say, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I'm an adulterer and I need God. I can't stop it. I admit I'm a liar and I can't stop it. I need God. I need, I repent. I need God. It's pride that keeps us from owning the fact that we are sinners saved by grace. And somehow by being good, by coming to church and giving some money or doing 25 Hail Marys, that somehow we in our own strength have caused ourselves to be able to have the right to go to spend eternity with the living God. That is pride that would say that. The Bible calls us to humble ourselves. I I had an experience about seven years ago that has marked me. It might be eight or nine years ago now. You know, when you get old, you just say back in in those days. Mm -hmm. It was an experience that marked me. I've been, Jamie and I have been a part of many revivals. We've experienced uh, moments where people, uh, where thousands of people were laid out on the floor under the power of God, couldn't get up. It was beautiful. I wouldn't have called that revival after what I'm about to tell you. I, I, we've, been in, we've been in gatherings. We were in a gathering in Florida with 3,000 people. We were worshiping the God in the sanctuary, uh, the living God in, in, in the sanctuary. The worship was powerful and beautiful. And all of a sudden, all of us began to hear three octaves above us the sound of voices singing in a beautiful tone that, 
that was almost unmatchable. I, I couldn't reach it. And as we sat there, we thought, well, maybe we all started turning around to the media team, to the sound booth. We thought maybe they were playing some kind of, some kind of you know, uh, CD or something in the back and didn't realize it was bleeding over through the sound system. And they all did like this. Then the music all stopped. Everyone on stage stopped playing. And the voices continue as the angels of God were out singing us in that holy moment. I've been in situations where literally we were casting devils out of people and they were levitating three and four feet off the ground. I have seen supernatural things and been a part of some of the most remarkable, uh, marking revivals since uh, in my lifetime. I've seen them all and been a part of many crazy, powerful things. But seven, eight years ago, I was, I think I've experienced the purity of what real revival looks like. Come on. I was at Christ for the Nations. I was running the Bible school there. 1,200 Bible school students just wanting God. We were in, every morning we would do a chapel service. We'd worship for 30 minutes and then we would dismiss everyone to their classes and they would go to, with their professors to their classes, meet them at their, their room. This particular morning was nothing special. I didn't feel like the worship was so glorious and I couldn't stand up. It was just normal worship. We were worshiping our God. It's beautiful. Nothing so marking or significantly different. And all of a sudden as we go to close out, I grab the mic and I walk up like I do here and I... Hey, guys, it was so wonderful today. I want to bless you in Jesus' name, and I want to dismiss you to your classes. And as I go to dismiss, uh, you know, uh, one, one of the gentlemen who's right up front, he's about 6'4", good-looking African-American man, just ripped, and just, he goes, Pastor, can I say something? Well, you got to understand, I, I grew up, we don't give the mic to nobody, because you never know what somebody's going to say, you know. So I just want to testify that uh, Jesus and Satan are brothers. I had that revelation I was reading through. The, Shut up, Steve, give me the mic. And so, you know, you just, you, we just don't do it. And so uh, he goes, can I say something? And I, and I was like, oh, we got to go to class. And the Spirit of the Lord said, let him. I was like, yeah, come on up here, man. Come on up here. Go ahead. So I, <laughs> I held on to the mic, you know. I wasn't going to let him have it. And he goes, oh, he starts weeping. I mean, it's this huge dude, and he's weeping. <laughs> And he, and, he, and he leans on me. Everybody wants to lean on the little dude. I don't know what the deal is. Like, dude, you should be holding me. Why are you leaning on me? And he's leaning on me like I'm crutches, you know. <laughs> he said, he said, uh, he said, I just want to tell you guys, years ago I committed a crime. And I did 10 years in, in prison. I did it. I did the crime and I paid the penalty. My, my wife, she waited for me. Baby, I love you. He said, and his lips, you know, is queer. He said, he said, two things happened to me in prison. Number one, I met Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and the whole place was like, yeah. He said, number two, I became addicted to porn, lust, and perversion. In my mind, I never had it before, like, like happened to me in prison. I got out of prison. I went to, you know, I went to an internship, you know, and then I came here. My wife's with me, and we're here in Bible school. I just want to repent. I thought if I came to Bible school, it would all go away, but I just want to repent to you ladies in here. I've been lusting in my heart after some of you. Baby, I'm so sorry. I don't want to do it, but I'm lusting. And I just want to say, God, have mercy on me. And he falls down on his face. And uh, he's still taller than me. You know, he's down on the... And, uh, and he's crying. <laughs> and, so, and all of a sudden, this girl goes... Can I say something just like that? She comes running. I mean, tears, snot. I mean, it's just everything. She comes running up here. And then I, the Spirit Lord said, yeah, let her do it, say something too. I was like, okay, sweetheart, what do you want to say? And she goes, it's me. I do it. I want it. I do it. 
I buy my clothes a little tighter and I'm trying to show off my boobs and my backside and it's the devil and I don't know why I do it. I know I shouldn't, but I do it. I just wonder if I've caused you to sin or anyone else. I repent. And she falls down on her, her face. <laughs> and so I'm standing there. And now I'm crying, <laughs> and they're handing me tissues, you know, like the poor pastor can't stand up. I'm like, oh, this is unbelievable. And then they begin to come one at a time. For eight hours, 1,200 students, we never showed up for classes. For eight hours, school stops at noon. Classes stop at noon. We go till 3, 4 o'clock that evening, 5 o'clock, whatever it was. Repenting. I want to say, I did, baby. I didn't I did tell you. But the week we were getting married, I slept with your best friend. I never told a soul. And they're just, and it's just coming out. And by about five o'clock, as their conscience is now cleared because they've repented, I'm telling you, a joy hit that place. A, 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 a health came over us. I felt like this is what heaven's going to be like. Because there's nothing hidden anymore. Our consciences are clear. We owned it. We're sinners. We did it. And whatever it takes, we don't care. Whatever it costs, we don't care. We just want God, the living God. And in that moment, it was like all of heaven came down and rested upon it. I'm telling you, I'll take it any day over people falling out in the spirit. I'll take it any day over people prophesying and all this stuff. This was real. And it was raw. And it was authentic. And it was, it was sincere. And it was humble. It was like, God, I need you, and I don't care what it takes. I'm tired of pretending that it's okay. Can I tell you something? You can't have fun. Your conscience is weighing you down by the sin that you haven't made right. See, repentance is not just saying, God, I'm sorry. Repentance is not only to do a 180 and go the opposite direction, but repentance is to make right what I've done wrong. That's why John the Baptist said, show fruit unto repentance. Don't just say you're sorry. Go to that person and say, I sinned against you. I I did it. People tell me all the time, well, if I do that, she's going to leave me. You think that what you got is now good? Because it's based on lies, manipulations, and insincerity. You don't think she doesn't sense that or feel that? You don't think that? The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That healing comes when we confess our sins one to another. I love you, church. Love you with all of my heart. As we started into our prayer app a couple months ago and calling the church to prayer, our intercessors began to approach me one by one. The prophetic voices in this church began to come to me. They said, Pastor, I'm getting this word. That the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And as long as we have hidden sin in our life, we can't move things around in this nation. Guys, we're going to change this nation one hurting soul at a time, but not with consciences that are bogged down with unrepented sin. When you and I repent, what a beautiful opportunity that God lets us repent, that he gives us a do-over, a start again, a refresh, if you will. It's beautiful. You know, I don't preach like this. Come on, you've been with me. But I love you so much that I want to bring you to a place of health because you can't enjoy life. You can't have forever fun. And your conscience is heavy laden with the sin that you've never really repented of. 
and the guilt and the shame that you let, you pushed it so far down there that you didn't want to pretend it's not there. Friend, it's there. It's just become weights around your ankles now. And you can't run for God because you've got all this weight. And we don't understand why you're always having bouts of depression or your Christian walk is up and down. And one minute you feel a little bit of relief, but then the next minute you're right back down. Why? Because that sin that you've not repented of is constantly pulling you back, pulling you back into depression. And and your conscience is constantly fighting against you because you haven't made it right. Oh, but to walk into the fellowship of believers and say, look, I was an adulterer, but he set me free. I admitted, and God came to me, and he delivered me and set me free, and I'm free in him, and his grace and mercy has been extended to me, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. Old things are passed away, and everything's become new. I used to be that person, but I'm not that person. I'm not tied to it. I don't love it. I don't want it. I want Jesus, and I want him alone, and in that, everything is life-giving, and everything is fun. Even hardships become fun when you got a clear conscience. Telling you, the burden of carrying that. I don't know how some of you have done it up until this point. I don't know how you carry that burden of that hidden sin, of that stuff you've never come clean about. I don't know how you carry that burden. It's just such a heavy, heavy burden. My dad, my stepdad, he was married twice before he married my mom. He had kids with his second marriage. And I got saved. I got my mom saved. And then the guy she was dating, he got saved. And then they got married and we became a family. And so it all changed. Radically, we got radically transformed. I mean, we owned it. We were wicked and we got saved and transformed. Well, that was all fine and dandy for our little family. My stepdad left another family for another woman. His kids did not have any point of excitement about visiting our little perfect Christian family now. Their dad had abandoned them. He's now my dad. He's got another young man in his life that's calling him dad. They would literally not show up for the moments they were supposed to be with us on weekends. As they became teenagers, the hatred, the anger propagated. My dad, their dad, had sinned against them. No and or buts about it. He had sinned. He had done them wrong. He had abandoned them. And he wasn't there for them. And now he's a Christian. And he he doesn't know what to do. He's reaching out and they're pushing him away. He's reaching out and they're pushing him away. And we began to pray about it as a family. I didn't necessarily want half stepbrothers and sisters that didn't want to be with us either. So it was a difficult place to be in. And the conscience of my stepdad was just so weighed down. He would weep. Any time there was an altar call, he'd come down in the shame of having been a terrible dad before he was a Christian. And he just carried that shame and that guilt and that shame and that guilt. And finally, finally one day, one day my mom just had enough. She said, enough! She said, enough of this. Have you repented? He said, Yes then why can't you receive His grace and His mercy? Why can't you let Him clear the shame? Why do you keep holding to the shame? He goes, because I deserve it. She said, the man who deserves it is dead. You are a new creature in Christ. That's good. That man doesn't exist. And your shame is keeping you from breaking through with your children. And you give them the power to treat you like that. That man's dead. 
we got a revelation. As a family, we got a revelation. And we stood up. We started telling those, my stepbrother and sister, we love you. We know that you were wounded. You may not be ready to receive our love as a family. But we will always be here. I want you to know, they don't miss a Father's Day calling my dad. He's done every one of their weddings. Come on, somebody. God has broken through. And the shame is removed. And the guilt of that sin is gone. That's what I want for every person in this room. Would you stand with me quickly all across the room? God is good. And because God is good, life is good. Say it with me. Because God is good, life is good. Would you close your eyes with me all across the room? I don't know what shame or guilt you're carrying. I don't know how it got there. I don't know what you actively participated in or was drug into by against your own will. I have no idea what transpired in your life. But I know this, that life should be fun forever. That Christianity and serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords should be so enjoyable that it's causes others to become jealous that's what the Bible teaches us And as you stand here with your head bowed and your eye closed I don't know what guilt is constantly yelling in the back of your mind I don't know what shame is allowed to linger because you've never really repented but I know the God who removes all shame I know the God who fixes all guilt I know the God who loves deeply. And he's given you a pathway. He's given you a pathway out of guilt into fun forever. But it's through repentance. And it's not a bad word. And it's not a dirty experience. And it's not a horrible place. It's the most beautiful place. But you got to let go of your pride. You got to desire to love Jesus more than you love your sin you got to stop making excuses, guys. It's not because so-and-so did such-and-such anymore. You've got to own it. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against the Lord. I've gone the opposite way. You can't live in ignorance another day. There's no, oh, I didn't really mean that in the Bible. I'm going to change it after a thousand years and let everybody out of hell. Stop lying to yourself. He's a good God. He wants a covenant relationship with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If sin has caused guilt and shame in your life, right where you stand, I want you to repent. And say, Lord, I repent. I want you to admit that you're a sinner. I want you to repent of that sin. And now I want you to receive His grace and mercy. So that you can rejoice and enjoy this wonderful life. Life is good. Life is good. God is good. But it's terrible for those of us who love God and love sin. It's miserable for the person full of pride who won't humble themselves. For the person who's ignorant of what awaits, what eternity is all about, to that person, there's nothing enjoyable about this life. They go from one beer to another, from one hit of cocaine to another from one marriage or one sexual relationship to another, trying to find something 
to make life worth living. Friend, you have truth right here in front of you. Embrace it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Father, I pray for every man and woman in this room as they admit their sin, as they repent of their sin. Lord, could they right now receive your forgiveness? Come on, receive it right where you're at. Take it. If you've been repenting right where you stand, God, I'm sorry, I I repent. Lord, I repent. I don't want it anymore. I don't want to be an adulterer anymore. I don't want to be a liar anymore. I don't want to be a thief. I don't, I don't, I don't care about all the money anymore. I don't, I, don't, I, don't care about, I don't care about the perversion anymore. I don't care about the sexuality. I, I just want you, God, as you just make that your prayer right where you stand. As you admit where you've been and what you've been involved in. Grace and mercy come upon you now in Jesus' name. The mercy of the God who can give mercy. For he was sinless so he can give what none of us deserve because he did not do what we all did he did not sin so Jesus can now be an advocate of mercy Father I thank you right now for the burden of shame to be lifted in Jesus name the guilt of conscience to be cleansed right now the old thoughts the the self humiliation the, the beating of our own self. Mad at our own self. Day in and day out. We just release that right now. And declare that we're new creatures in Christ. Would you say that under your breath? I'm a new creature in Christ. Come on. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new for me. Right here. Right now. Come on. Make this your place. Come on. You don't, you don't need any other special place. This is the place. God's here. We're here. You're here. Make this the place. Make this the moment. Now, Father, I pray right now. Every person on this podcast that's listening, every person that's standing here before me, Lord God, that the joy of the Lord would now be their strength. Where guilt and shame was the strength of their sin, it's now removed, it's now buried, it's now destroyed, and now joy can be their strength. The joy of the Lord can be their strength. They can laugh when temptation comes knocking. They can have fun without having a beer. They can can enjoy their kids without being shamed for what they did five years ago or ten years ago or whatever happened to you. They can enjoy their job despite of what those people did to them last year and the bitterness that they held against them till this moment. Be free. Be free. Be free. In Jesus' name, be free. Come on, you don't need a therapist. You need repentance. Can I tell you, the problem in this nation is not a prejudice problem. It's not an overextension of authority by those who carry guns problem. It's not a homosexual problem or the wrong person in leadership problem. It's a sin problem. It all goes back to sin. Sinners act like sinners. Why are you you amazed by that? We are the light. He is the light of the world and we are his example to this world. Father, in the name of Jesus, let freedom come. Would you lift your hand and now receive joy? Come on. I want you to dream again. I want you to have fun again. I want you to laugh again. I want you to smile again. Come on. Come on, receive that right now. Receive it right now. Go, joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory.
Come on, just receive it. Come on, stop holding on to your shame. Some of you like your shame. Some of you like the guilty. It's become your identity. Come on. Come on, you're old, you're old fogey. Nobody wants to hang out with you because you, you, you're always shameful. You're always, yeah, but you know, just so hard. And I don't know. Come on, just get free from that. Enjoy Jesus again. Enjoy life again. Come on, it's good. God's good, and therefore life is good. And sin has no power over you anymore. Shame can't control you. Shames, the sin, the strength of sin, which is shame and guilt, is now destroyed in you. And now the strength of salvation, which is joy, should dwell deep inside of you. Father, I release your joy upon these who are forgiven, for us who are forgiven. And Lord Jesus, I thank you. Whatever interactions we need to have this week, Lord God, show it to us. If we need to go repent to somebody because we've been prejudiced against them. And Lord, we'll do it. We'll do it because we don't want to ever lose this joy. Lord God, if we need to go and confess that, we'll do it. Because Lord God, we don't want shame, our guilt, to dominate and have strength over us ever again. Freedom, freedom, freedom in Jesus' name. Would you grab hands of that person next to you real quick? I'm gonna tell, listen, i got a prophetic word for somebody in this room. The Lord made it real clear. You're going to start sleeping now. Some of you have not been able to sleep. It's because of guilt and shame. You didn't even know it. You didn't know what it was. You've been taking all kinds of medication. You're going to find yourself, now that all that guilt and shame has been dealt with, you've repented of it, and you're going to go make some of it right. You've got to go have some confrontations. But as you do that, you're not going to believe how restful you become. I'm telling you, I have a word from the Lord for somebody in this room. You're going to start sleeping. And you're going to say, I can't believe I've slept through the whole night. It's unbelievable. I don't worry about this and I don't worry about that anymore. Worry's going to drop off of you because of God has made it right you have responded with repentance would you pray for that person on either side of you for the next 60 seconds just pray say lord i just pray for them would you would you extend the love that you're experiencing from the lord right now to that person on either side of you would you just pray that all shame and guilt would be broken off of them that they can walk up rightly. They walk out of this place today. They walk with their shoulders back and their head a little higher. And they're knowing that they know that if anything were to happen, that they are free from sin. It has no power over them. Father, in the name of Jesus, the God that's above every God, the name that's above every name, the God who we serve, the living God, has freed us this moment as we've repented. And shame and guilt has no power. We call that as done. We seal it as a body of believers. We don't want any of our friends to be left out. We don't want half of our folks living in guilt and shame. We don't want half of our folks struggling with sin. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, this entire congregation, learning, living, walking, and the fun enjoyment of the Lord because sin has no power over them anymore. Because it's been dealt with. It's been repented of. And control-alt-delete has just transpired. And it's rebooting to newness of life. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, amen and amen.